I'm Ryan. And I'm Nick. And you're listening to Going Offsides, presented by the Lacrosse Collective on the Lacrosse All-Stars Podcast Network. All right, welcome back to episode number four of Going Offsides, brought to you by the Lacrosse Collective. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the rule changes coming to the face-offs in college. We're going to talk about our way too early picks for Division One, Two, Three, and NAIA champions. And uh, Ryan, why don't you get us started off with your pick for D one? Well, my friend, uh, it is very, very early. Um, obviously, we know that it's not even July 1st yet, but we uh, the, the transfer portal has kind of taken shape, and, and we know that you know certain guys have found their, their landing spots, um, at least for you know the higher-end Division I schools. So you, know, you kind of have an idea of what teams are going to look like going into the fall, and hopefully there is a fall, but definitely in the spring. Um, you know, one of the one of the groups, and you'll kind of see it throughout my picks for across, you know, Division One, Two, II, and Three. I'm kind of big on teams playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, uh, playing with a little something to prove. So my early pick for you know 2021 is going to be the Syracuse Orange. Uh, I, I think you know the their 2020 season obviously was cut short, and they were trending very very up uh when the season ended i mean they had some really big wins they were really starting to mesh together i think the uh addition of pat march as their uh offensive coordinator really gave them the shot in the arm that they really needed um and and it really kind of returned them to their roots even though he's not a syracuse guy uh it it looked like those guys were were really starting to have fun playing together and it looked like it was like this starting to look like the Syracuse of old. Um, I know it's not probably not the popular pick and people really aren't, you know, thinking too much because there is another team uh, that I'm sure my co-host is going to, is going to talk about that is the all too early favorite, but um I'm going to go with Syracuse. I, I think they returned the majority of their guys. They got some really good seniors coming back for a fifth year. Uh, they got some big transfers coming in. I mean, even though it, it was sad to see Furman drop their program, but I mean, for Syracuse to pick up a, a really good poll from them uh, and uh, to pick up their leading scorer as a freshman and have that guy, you know, have three years of actually, sorry, four years of eligibility. Um I, I think they're they're reloading. They got some really good guys, and I think it's just enough new guys to really kind of fill in some some spots for them. Where it's not going to be like some other schools where they're bringing in all this talent. They've had a lot of talent, and they have to kind of figure out where these guys are going to fit in. Um, and, and, and you know those guys up at Cuse, man, they're they're, they're crazy. They're nuts. Um, you know, there's a lot of tradition there, and it, it's one of those programs where it's either you're on board or you're out. So I, I, I'm big on Syracuse. I think Syracuse. Use returns to championship weekend, and I I think they take the whole thing in 2021. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be another ring for Syracuse. How about you, my friend? Who's your pick for Division One? I? I mean, easiest pick I can think of is Duke. You have, in my opinion, the greatest, if not top three, greatest lacrosse coaches of all time in Coach Donowski. You've got all of these guys coming back. Where's he from again? Yeah, yeah, Long Island. I get it. Okay, okay, just checking. Yeah, for yeah. me though. I'm sure he was a bigger. I think he was a bigger fan of your brothers than you, anyway, right? Probably, yeah, probably, probably, probably. Anyway, 
Uh, they have a ton of talent coming back. They have a little guy named Michael Sowers coming in. I don't know if anyone's heard of him, but he's pretty good. Uh, early favorite to win the Twarton. Uh, definitely was on his way to win it this year and take Princeton back to the tournament for the first time in years. They have a great poll coming in from Syracuse. So it must not have been that great at Cuse because they're leaving for Duke. But either way, I, I have Duke as my early favorite, and I know that's not really a tough pick, but it's my pick. Well, you know, if there's anybody that can get all that talent to kind of gel, I definitely think it's it's Dino. Um, you know, and also, too, it doesn't hurt that they have the number one recruit in the country coming into them as well. Um, having seen him play up close to personal, um, not in club lacrosse, um, but in actual high school lacrosse and playing, you know, at St. Anthony's, uh, Brennan O'Neill is, is the real deal. He, he's going to be on the field right away. Um, I think when people you know, see him and, and the nation is really kind of, you know, introduced to him, I, I think he's going to be an absolute monster. And I think, uh, you know, he's watching him. It, it reminds me of uh, watching John Grant Jr. The way he plays and his style of play. And I think it just factors in that he's a lefty as well, but he's a big, solid kid and, um, you know, plays that kind of Canadian field, you know, that box field game. He's just a stud. And, um, you know, it also helps too that they got, you know, one one of the one of the best face off kids of the country going there too. So, um, you know they're not hurting down at Duke. Um, uh, you know no. you can't beat the weather, you can't beat the the scenery, you know you can't beat the education. So they're going to be right there in the thick of it. But you know who knows, man? That's why you play the games. So it, yeah. it's they have to go through that ACC schedule, and I mean you're you know they're they're going to see Syracuse and. Um, you know, and I don't know who plays at home, you know, this year, but if it's in the dome, man, that place is going to be a rocking. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's such thing as too much depth, but Duke might have too much depth on offense. They're going to have to get kind of creative to get enough guys, enough reps. Man, but well, that, that's a luxury we all wish we had. All right, D2. You know, I know we're in agreement on this pick, but uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce. Well, to uh, kind of continue on with my trend, um, you know, teams with something to prove. Uh, I, I truly think that uh, they were going to be in the thick of things this year, just based off of their early season success. Um, but you know, great coaching staff, um, great location, great facility. I mean, it is having played there and, and been in that environment. Uh, it, it, it is turning into a big time lacrosse school. They've got a lot of, a lot of great things going for them. Um, and they've got arguably the, the best two kids in division two coming back. I, m my pick for division two is it's going to, it's going to be them coming, coming out and winning their first national championship. It's going to be the Leno Ryan bears. Um, uh, I, I, having seen them kind of grow from infancy to where they are now. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of time. I thought this year they were going to be able to make that run and maybe get to championship weekend and who knows what would have happened. But I think this year in 2021, it, it's going to be their year. I, I think they're going to be a really tough team to beat. They traditionally play a tough schedule. Uh, so it, it, it really depends on kind of how, how things go. But I, I think that they're going to be the team in, in the SAC conference and, 
you know, the sack this year gets, you know, I think it becomes the toughest conference in division two, because you add limestone to an already overflowing conference. I mean, you know, in the sack, you have LR, you have Wingate, you have Queens. Now you add uh, limestone. Catawba is always very good. Coker was having, you know, a, a really good year and they were going to be a tough team to beat. And, you know, obviously you have my former school in Lincoln Memorial and Tusculum and some of those other schools. I mean, uh, Newberry, Newberry's doing a really good job with getting their program off the ground. Um, you know, in Mars Hills, obviously a tough school too, but there, there's a lot of good lacrosse down there. I think that they're probably, that's probably the toughest conference um, from top to bottom. I mean, there's, there's five or six teams in there that can beat anybody on any given day. Um, so, you know, my pick is, you know, going to be Leno Run. Yeah. I mean, they, they might've actually benefited from this whole half a season situation. You think about it. It's, it's a young team had very little experience postseason. They come out, they beat Limestone, they beat Adelphi. I'd like to think that, that those wins would carry on and have a really long season, but that might have taken a lot out of them early. So now, if you want to look at it with a silver lining, they've beaten two big names. They have the experience. They know what it's like to beat those teams. And they go into 2020, 2021 with that experience, knowing how to beat a big program, a big name, and maybe this is the year where they can put it all together. Well, uh, I think too is is like one thing that I've always been impressed with them is like they're tough. Like that is a tough, tough team. When you go out there and play them, you know you know that you're going to be in for a battle. And I, uh, you know, and and you know, not to not to say it again, but you know, their coaches from Long Island, not a big deal. But um, all kidding aside, he, he Coach Paradine's a great. Uh, great coach, but he has those guys ready to play every single game. Um, you know, doesn't let them, you know, lose focus or anything like that. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a, I think it's going to be a great year for them. Absolutely. And one thing, having watched them play limestone is they just never back down. They, Mm -hmm. every time limestone answered, there came Lenore Ryan with another goal, another big play. They just really didn't play scared. They played, a relentless style, a fearless style of lacrosse. And it was very, very fun to see. So moving on to D3, again, real tough pick for me to make. But with all the unknowns, I have to just go with Berkman at Salisbury. It's just the, you know, if if I'm a betting man, which I am, I just want to go with the closest thing to a sure thing there is from year in, year in and year out. I mean, there's plenty of other great teams that have made runs, but the team that you can count on to make it, pretty deep every year and go on historic runs is Salisbury. Death taxes seagulls playing on championship weekend. Exactly. Now for your very, very out of the picture, you know, totally wild off the cuff pick you pick. I picked uh toughs. I, I think that, um, you know, once again, they were the team that was, you know, trending, upward the most in division three. Uh, it's really tough for me because I'm such a huge fan of coach Kuhn up at uh, RIT. Uh, I think at some point they're going to break through because they just, no, no, no relation. I, I, you know, I say my last name Kuhn, but it's no big deal. People Um, are confused. 
people are confused. Uh, but uh, I'm a huge fan of what they're doing up there. Uh, he, he's got a great thing going up there. But from my standpoint, you know, you can't deny what Tufts is putting on the field year in and year out. And I thought that this year was the year that they were going to win the national championship again. But um, obviously we know what happened. But I think that with what they have returning um, – you know, with with kind of the situation that unfolded this season, uh, they return a, a ton of guys coming into next year, and obviously they recruit really, really well. I, I, I think it's going to be tough winning the national championship. I, I they they play such a fun style of lacrosse. They're in your face. You know, they they're pressuring you all over the field. They're getting up and down. Um, I mean, really, that's that's the place where you know, the, the resurgence of, you know, actually, I'm not going to say the resurgence, but when people started to, you know, really kind of take notice and realize that, you know, everybody was, you know, schools were playing fast lacrosse again, you know, people looked to Tufts. Now I will say Salisbury has been playing fast since day one, but just based on the way lacrosse is from a regional standpoint, the schools from the North get more um, press than, you know, the teams from the South. So, but my pick is it's going to be Tufts. I think the Jumbos are going to win. Yeah, I wouldn't I mean, be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it's tough Salisbury in the in the final game. I mean, I don't think anybody would hate that. That'd be that'd be a huge game. That'd be an entertaining game no matter what. All right, moving on. NAIA, not as well known, but you and I know him well. Mm-hmm. Your pick for NAIA national championship tournament champions. You know, I, I think uh, there's going to be a number of reasons uh, as to why I you know I think that um, you know this team's going to do it. Um, I mean, really, you know, you could pick, you know, anybody in the top three in this conference. I think it's, and and I don't know if you agree with me, coach, but I think this is the best um, conference in the NAIA. Uh, So I just kind of like threw a, threw a dart at the dartboard and it landed on this team. I think uh, they return a lot. They have some, some key transfers coming in. And I think, um, you know, they probably have a sour taste in their mouth from how their season ended. Uh, I I think too, um, you know, probably the hiccup that, got them early in the season, uh, you know, probably losing a game that they probably thought they should have won, definitely kind of refocused the team. And I think that'll help them, you know, that learning lesson will help them going into 2021. I think it's going to be the Indiana Tech Warriors. I mean, it's a a good pick, no doubt about it. It's kind of like picking Salisbury or Tufts. You're picking a team that's continuously in the top 10. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to worry about it. The only issue becomes the, the whack is, if not the best, the certainly the deepest conference in the NAI you you have sometimes four or five teams ranked receiving votes at a time um personally they're not my choice to to come out of the whack to this this comp- upcoming season i'd lean towards uh, lawrence tech but uh, oh, would you would you agree there's going to be multiple teams going to the going to the NAI national tournament from that conference I think three is the most you can get anymore with the way that the conferences have aligned. I think Indiana Tech certainly has a chance at one of those three. And then, mm-hmm. as, you, as you know, they can make a run. Uh, I'm going with, for for national champion, the closest thing to a sure thing in the NAIA. Reinhardt going for a four-peat. Not so much because they win every year, but they have pretty much every single kid coming back. They've got... Most of the seniors from last year coming back for fifth years. They've got transfers coming in from other NAI schools. Uh, I know they've been talking to some other transfers from other divisions as well. So I just think John Snow, great name, but also great program. And he's not from Long Island. 
No comment. <laughs> anyway. No comment. Anyway. I think I think they're going to be in, obviously be in the thick of things. I mean, it's it's tough when you have that you know that many guys coming back, but sometimes too much success, uh, you know, it can bite you in the butt at some point. Uh, you know, at some point somebody's going to catch them. Um, you know, it really just depends on who's playing the best lacrosse at that time. Uh, like you've seen so many times, um, you know, you saw it when you know UMass went undefeated all those years ago and then lost to Colgate in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, you've seen it when some of these teams that have had great regular seasons and started the tournament, they just they kind of faltered down the stretch. It, it's it's going to be, especially now that the NAIA is growing and everybody is starting to get better and there's kind of more parity there within you know the regular season and the conference tournaments. Um, it, it really is going to you know be a war, a battle. Of, uh, I'm sorry, a war of attrition. Like who's who's going to be able to stay healthy? Who's going to be able to stay mentally fresh to make that run into you know early May? All right, now that we've talked about our p- proposed champions at each level, why don't we pick our sleeper picks for who's going to have the biggest make the biggest splash this year in each division? Well, I'm not sure if I can do this, but I'm going to do it and nobody's going to stop me. I actually have two. Um one um is going to be the Johns Hopkins Blue Jays. Um you know, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about how Coach Petromala uh, was let go. I'm such a huge Petromala fan. Um, I think he's obviously one of the best coaches of all time, but, you know, that's not what we're talking about. I think, um, you know, a lot of times, like how we've discussed, um, you know, with that, you know, turnover at that position, whoever came in was going to have to make a big splash. And congrats to Coach Milliman. Um, he has definitely won the summer in terms of that between his hirings, uh, you know, for staff members and uh, what he's kind of done um, from a uh, recruiting standpoint. Um, you know, he's got the makings to to really make a run with that team. I think I, I don't necessarily know if they're going to get to championship weekend, but I, you know, I definitely think that they're going to make a deep run and they could make it to championship weekend um, between, you know, hiring probably one of the, the, obviously he's the greatest, one of the greatest players of all time and John Grant Jr. to run the offense. He's also a really accomplished coach. I mean, a lot of people, you know, yeah, they look at him that he's, you know, one or two years out at Air Force, you know, he won back-to-back state championships championships at Valor High School in Colorado. So you don't do that. I don't care what level, where you're at. You know, you don't win championships like that if you're not a great coach. So he is an, a phenomenal coach. And I think he's a guy that kids are going to want to play for. I think that Canadian pipeline is going to open up um, even more. And they're going to get some really good players there. And, and he's going to be able to really kind of improve a lot of the players that are already there. And then also, too, I think their defense, you, that's where you're going to see the biggest jump. They've always had defensive talent. Um, but bringing in, bringing in Coach Coster from UMBC, um, you know, UMBC doesn't have the resources that Hopkins has. Uh, but you know, Coach Coster did a great job with that team. Uh, I think you're going to see the defense, the defense of uh, Johns Hopkins make you know make a tremendous jump this year. So I, I think they're going to be my my sleeper pick overall. But don't count out. I think this team did a great job with you know getting some key transfers in over the summer, um, and they're returning one of the best attackmen in the country. I think you're going to see 
uh, you know, a resurgent year from the Hofstra pride. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think they're, they're not going to have, you know, a championship weekend run, but you know, they're going to be, I think they're going to have a really good shot at winning their conference. Um, and I really think that they're going to, you know, have an opportunity to make a run in the NCAA tournament. Really, like I said, it depends on, um, kind of how things go towards the end of the year and who can win that war of attrition. But I, I think that between those two teams, you're going to see, um, you're going to see a big jump in as compared to what we've seen in the past couple of years. I'm going to keep it real simple for everybody. Uh, I could pick Hopkins. I wanted to. I agree. The coaches. I'm not going to say that it's a better coaching staff by any means, but it certainly is a very exciting coaching staff. A very. I don't even want to say young because John Grant Jr. is not young, but in terms of college coaching experience, he's a, he's a young coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has injected a lot of of energy into recruiting and excitement and, and all of those things. So Hopkins is obviously a good choice. I think my sleeper pick is going to be Michigan because I've I've been and a lot of people have been just waiting for that corner to completely turn for the for the lid to be blown off the the top there and I think that they have the talent and the recruits to do it. I think the coaching staff is able to do it and i think that this is the year where they finally you know they surprise more than one team in the big 10 which mm-hmm. has become quickly possibly the deepest outside of the acc one of the deepest conferences in college lacrosse okay there you go i don't i don't disagree with you on that all right d2 i mean you already picked a little bit of a sleeper as your champion but if you had to pick one more the Florida Southern Moccasins. Coach Ward is doing a tremendous job with that group. They've always kind of been in the mix. I think this is the year they they, they get it over the top. They've got some really good talent um, coming in. They've got some really great talent returning. Um, you know, he's a, he's a great coach. He always gets his guys to play hard. I think, you know, for, for them, it's, it's just always tough just to get out of that conference. And, and I think if they can do that, you know, they have every opportunity to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. That's my pick, and I'm sticking to it. Yep, and they brought back a great defensive coach and, and Coach Loves all the way back down to Florida. So I think uh, I think his presence has been noticeable, and uh, I think I think you're right. I think that team's going to do great things. I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to go Midwest, and I'm going to pick U Indy. Uh, not, you know, if you're in the Midwest or if you're really into D2 lacrosse, that name isn't new to you. But I Is do. Th- I do is a, think hmm? is a final four team really a sleeper pick. I mean, I'm kidding. If you it talk is, to someone from Long Island, do they think of UND as a, as a potential champion? I well, don't think so. I don't think they even, eh. well, I don't think they think about them. Well, I think, I think you're right in terms of that being a sleeper. I think they, they, they just take another step towards consistency and legitimacy as a program. I mean, you know, they, he's doing a wonderful job there. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Coach Stocks, right? Yeah, Coach Greg Stocks. Yeah. And the other way I look at it too is I think a lot of people might see that Final Four as a blip on the radar. You know, one of those teams that makes a run one year and that's it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's like that at all. I think no, people are going to have to get used to seeing UND as a perennial power in mm-hmm. D2 lacrosse and the fact that they're from the Midwest and that they're a very young program, that program didn't even exist too long ago. 
uh, the fact that they've achieved so much so soon. And I think the real surprise is that is going to be their ability to sustain that success. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. All right, moving on to D3. Illinois Wesleyan. I love the pick. You Illinois threw me off there. Wesleyan. I think that they're poised for a breakout. Um, not that they, not that they actually, I'm sorry, this could be between two teams, Illinois Wesleyan and Elmhurst. Always. Always yeah, two always teams because you. I'm going to be honest with you. I love what Coach Morell's doing at Elmer. What Coach Morell's doing over there, I, I think that that location is 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 awesome, um, and, and they've slowly, you know, been building towards something big and and he's got he's just got he's bringing in great recruiting classes those guys are are, are buying into everything that he's doing um so i i think well, that they how about they have how about you okay how, how about you quit bsing me and just pick one team who's going to win in that game elmhurst versus i who who wins that game i think i wins the first game um and elmhurst wins the conference championship and gets the aq fair i like it put you on the spot yeah, i'm gonna go I'm going to go a different direction, keeping it in the Midwest. I'm going to go with Hope College. Okay. They're not, they're not new to the tournament. You know, they, they won their conference this year. Good, good, tough Midwest conference. They, they happen to have beaten Elmhurst this year, 18 to eight. So mm-hmm. I know that they have the chops to do this. Yeah. And what's absolutely insane. And I wish I could swear to really emphasize this, but what's absolutely insane is that coach Shanhal's up at Hope is still a full-time high school English teacher while taking his team to the NCAA tournament. And uh, we're going to have him on in a couple weeks, but I can't tell you how impressive that is. To be able to run a program (laughs) the way that he runs it and be able to take your team to the tournament after working a 40-hour week as a teacher is absolutely insane. But I, I digress. They have the talent. They have the experience now. The recruiting is insane. I mean... He gets a lot of guys out of the Chicago area that come up the coast to Grand Rapids. The, it's literally that campus is a country club. I, mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. It is a smaller Christian version of High Point, and uh, it's on Lake Michigan, so that's absolutely insane. So, and it, for people that don't know, Grand Rapids is kind of a little bit of a hub of talent in the Midwest for for lacrosse, and it's been that way for years. So, he does a great job of keeping those kids at home. Um, they had great success this year, even though he lost his son, the starting goalie for four years as a grad transfer to Michigan. So that, that tells you about the depth that they've had there for, for a little bit, but moving on to the NAIA, why don't we just pick one sleeper together? Uh, you picked Indiana tech as your champion. I picked Reinhardt. The sleeper pick I'm going to give everybody is Columbia college. They, they beat Indiana tech earlier in the season. They, if you know anything about NAIA lacrosse, you weren't really surprised that they were good. You might have been surprised by how good they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, they lose almost nobody. So I am really high on the Cougars. I've been high on them since day one. I put them in as like number nine or ten in my preseason poll last year. And uh, I definitely think that's a team that could make a tournament appearance already. I don't disagree with you. I think, you know, it's uh, 
it, it, those trips are it's such a tough place to play. So I think that they have that on their side. If if you're going out there to play them, you know it, it's going to be a dogfight. It, it's going to be hard for any team to do that. And then likewise, you know if if and they've done a great job with it. If if they can manage the ups and downs of those road trips, because you, you know you know how NAIA goes. Like you know you're playing two games in three days. If they can handle that and they can do some good things, I could see them. I could see them making the the, the NAIA tournament and and maybe doing some damage to some people. Yeah, they've definitely stepped it up. Their conference, the the usual powerhouses in their conference have taken a little bit of a step back and they've they've definitely taken a step forward. So don't be surprised to see the Cougars when it comes time for the tournament. You got it. I agree with you. All right, moving on to our next topic, face-off rule changes in NCAA lacrosse. So for those who don't know, they've eliminated or they're proposing to eliminate the motorcycle grip, which is the two overhand grip, which many face-off specialists like to use. They're also eliminating the knee-down stance, which means they are moving to what a lot of specialists are calling SNG, which stands for standing neutral grip, which is exactly what it sounds like. You're, you have one hand over, one hand under, and you're standing. And uh, we had a great interview with Brandon Davenport, former Detroit Titan face-off specialist, former Ohio Machine face-off specialist, and uh, most recently served as the Culver Academy and uh, coached, mentored the probably one of the best face-off guys in the country who is now going to be playing at Denver. So stay tuned for that interview. All right. So first of all, with the, with the new proposed face-off rules, which was, for anyone that doesn't know, standing, aka no knee down anymore, and then a neutral grip, so no motorcycle grip anymore. Uh, what are your first impressions of that proposed rule change? So um, I like it, to, to be honest with you. Um, obviously, I love face-offs, but I am not a face-off purist. Um, so I'm, I'm in for whatever's going to grow the game. So as a lacrosse community, I think that we should all have the same goal of making lacrosse more mainstream. And if that means um, changing the face-offs around to make uh, first-time viewers of lacrosse understand it better um, and make it uh, more of a, a fun thing to watch, then, then I'm all for it. It's definitely going to change the game quite a bit. Um, but I think it's going to make it faster, and I think it's going to make it um, more enjoyable to watch. Okay. Yeah. I mean, based on you know, how face-offs used to be. Uh, everyone's been saying that this is going to create more of a 90s feel to, to how face-offs are. You know, it, it's almost like you have guys like Kyle Harrison that are true midfielders, two-way midfielders, that also take face-offs. Um, a little bit less specialization yeah. needed to compete at a face-off with the, with the new format. Yep. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um I don't think it's going to completely eradicate face-off guys, um, but I do think that if you've got a team and you've got a face-off guy that's winning 65% of your face-offs, but you have a defensive midi who's really great at keeping the ball on the ground, who's super athletic, um, who only wins 60% of the face-offs, I'd probably you know, put a defensive midi out there who's just going to keep the ball on the ground. Uh, knowing that we don't have to change guys, especially if there's a shot clock involved, you, you want to, you know keep your guys in the field as long as you can. And if you don't have a face-off guy, it's, it's going to make things a lot quicker and smoother, especially if I have, a, you know, a, a really good defensive athletic 
defensive mini that's facing off against a, a true Fogo. Um, if that Fogo picks up the ball, he's probably going to have a tough time against a really skilled D mini. Yeah. So we're basically, we're, we're forcing with the rule changes, we're either forcing a true Fogo, like, you know, what we think of in the traditional sense, a guy that isn't as skilled outside of the actual clamp or whatever move he uses to be a little bit more well-rounded if they're going to be effective still. Yep, exactly. Yep. And you're going to have to be, there's going to be just such a huge emphasis on, on how you pick up ground balls um, where if you are more of a technical face-up guy that, that isn't getting dirty on ground balls, I, just, I, I don't see really a place for you in, in, in face-offs. Um, there's just going to be too many ground balls where you have to get in dirty and get those dirty ground balls and, and fight for the ball. Um, I just don't think that there's going to be a guy who's on a standing neutral group going to go out and win 85% of the clamps clean and move it forward and be alone picking up those face-offs. Um, I think it's just it's going to turn it into a, a dirtier ground ball. Okay. And then how do you how does this affect how how faceoff guys train? I mean, you kind of hit on it. Are we are we looking at guys focusing a little bit less on the technical side of of the actual faceoff and more on basically post clamp? You know what happens the ground ball, playing defensively, those types of things. Yep. Yeah, I think it's going to be really important for. Um, those face-off guys to definitely be more comfortable with the ball on their stick and, and, and fighting for ground balls. But, you know, to be an elite face-off guy with a knee down, you could practice at your house and, and, and do face-offs by yourself and learn all your moves and, and be a really elite face-off guy. To do a standing neutral grip, to be elite at standing neutral grip, you, you can't just practice at your house. Um, I think it's going to be really important to do live face-offs to a ground ball where you're going to get better with um, taking the standing neutral grip face off and then picking up that ground ball. So, you know, my standing neutral grip moves, I probably have, I don't know, six, seven, eight moves. And almost all of them require me to utilize the other player's stick to get the ball out. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very difficult for me to practice my standing neutral grip moves by myself. Now, yeah, right. you can do a true plunger and get that ball out quickly and pinch and pop it out real quick. Um, but that's with the standing neutral grip, that's only really going to be, I think, for the elite of the elite with, with the hand speed. Like, if you're really quick, uh, the kid, um, Alex Daskis, who I coached at Culver, uh, who's at Denver now, has such elite hand speed. He's so quick. I think he's still going to be able to win the majority of his faceoffs, just pinching it real quick and moving it forward. But the rest of us that don't have those freakishly quick hands, uh, I think it's going to be important for you to train against other people to have a bunch of different moves because um, they're going to get dirty and you have to be able to counter and get underneath guys' sticks uh, to, to get that ball out to force a ground ball. So I, I just I think there's going to be a huge importance on taking live face-offs um, rather than just practicing on your own. It's going to be important to practice on your own. I just think there's a huge emphasis on, on um, taking live face-offs on standing neutral grip all the way out to like a finished ground ball. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. I don't know if it was out of – like just a coincidence or not, or the fact that, you know, your senior year at Detroit, I'm not sure we had a lot of guys that were pure moto grip, you know, just hard clampers, but uh, right. we did, we already did a lot of those drills. We, we focused a lot of, if you remember on a lot of drills that focused on the GB, you know, losing the yep. face off, getting the GB, getting the ball in the stick and putting it where you need to put it to get the ball up. 
it was a lot more than just win the clamp and and hopefully you know just pinch and pop out of the back of your stick that was pretty rare exactly i think we were accidentally ahead of the time on that one but um, I, th- I think we were. You're absolutely right. I think that's why it was um, it, it was important that that you and I came up to the realization that that I could be effective on the wings as well. So putting face up guys on wings, athletic face up guys on wings that are good at ground balls, because I knew where that ball was going to pop out um, before other wing guys did, because I, I took face off and I knew the tendencies of our other face off guys and where that ball was going to go, and I could get a step on these guys. Um, before anyone yeah. else and i think it's, yeah, you with, the, with it. these new rules yeah with these new rules it's going to be really important to have really effective wing play um i, I don't think that there is going to be a ton a ton of wing guys physically picking up the ball because that you know those days of like pinching the ball in between your legs and throwing it behind is is those are few and far between but it's going to be super important for a wing guy to set up his stance and set up on the line in the spot where he can push a guy out of the way to give your face off guy as much space as possible for him mm-hmm. to pick up the ball on his own. Okay. And then let me throw a curveball at you. Do you think that given the, the new kind of the proposed rules, do you think we see a rise in, in LSMs taking, taking draws? That's, that's a good question. Um, I, I think we will see a, a rise in LSMs. I think you're going to see LSMs are going to be better at um, picking up ground balls, really um, athletic LSMs that are out there. The, the only tricky thing with an LSM is if you get that ball up, you're a bit vulnerable with, with such a long stick mm-hmm. uh, that it's more likely that someone could get a cost turnover on you. I do think there's going to be more long stick middies um, taking face off. Me personally, I think that there's going to be a ton of, of really athletic defensive middies that are going to take face-offs um, just because the fact that teaching someone how to take a knee down face-off is, is pretty hard. There's a lot of technical moves. If you don't get it, you, you kind of just don't get it. Like It takes hours and hours of training where I could teach a, a really athletic defensive middie how to take a standing neutral grip face-off and how to keep that ball on the ground in just uh, in a couple hours. So I think that that's going to be um, there's just going to be a ton of super athletic defensive players that are going to be taking face-offs, knowing that you don't have to change players. They're going to keep the ball on the ground and they're going to pick up ground ball. So I think that will be long stick middies. Um, I think there'll be a ton of defensive middies that are, that are now going to get in the mix. The only thing with that long stick middie, I think, is if they pick up that ball, they're going to be a little bit vulnerable with, with such a long stick. Yeah, yeah. I could definitely see an LSM playing more of the role of, like you said, if you have a guy with an elite hand speed that you know is going to be able to to still get get control of the ball pretty quickly and then make a move just the LSM's ability to keep that ball on the ground longer or tie that guy up and just allow yep. the wings to become more of a factor. Yep. Exactly. Agreed. All right. Well, perfect. Agreed. Well, thanks for your insight, Brandon. Uh, we'll be uh, sure to have you on the show again. Perfect. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. What a great interview that was with Brandon Davenport, learning a little bit more about how the proposed face-off rule changes will affect the game. Ryan, we talked a little bit off off the show about this, but uh, how do you see and, and what are your thoughts on how this is going to affect the game moving forward? Well, I, I think it's going to affect the game, but I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as everybody thinks. Um, I, I think the the... 
you know, the 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 dominant faceoff guys are gonna stay dominant because, like always, they 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 they're masters at their crafts. Um, you know, they're they're gonna stay stay ahead of the curve and obviously create you know new and improved ways to um you know be great at their be great at their position. So I I think you're gonna see you know obviously it's gonna be different looking at you know a new grip and and obviously people standing up. Um, but you know, I, I think that it's definitely going to be once kind of everything has subsided in terms of people voicing their opinions, um, you know, you're going to see kind of more of the same, like TD Earl is still going to be the best faceoff guy in the country. Teams are still going to be trying to game plan on ways to, to stop TD Earl. And, um, it's just one of those things where I, I think, uh, you know, it's going to create, more opportunities for two-way middies to become prevalent again in, in the sport of lacrosse. Um, I, I think that um, you might see some people not necessarily be as specialized when it comes to you know faceoffs. But overall, I think the game is going to stay the same. I think you might see some you might see the game speed up a little bit, um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I think the uh, the great faceoff men and the faceoff trainers out there are already putting in new ways to um, help their guys improve at the position and, and, and be ready for those changes. So I think you're going to see more of the same. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, it, it's going to be different at first, but I, I think over time it, it'll level out and you're going to kind of see more of the same. Yeah. I think like we discussed in the interview with Brandon, I think we're going to see a focus on having a more well-rounded face-off mm-hmm. specialist that is certainly able to play the ground ball a little bit more. Um, you look at guys in the PLL, <clears throat> you know, like for, for Chrome, he does a great job winning the clamp, but he sometimes struggles with that post clamp um, GB. Obviously, they're, they're not changing rules, but uh, at, the, at the college level, you see that quite often, especially when you don't have that elite faceoff guy. Mm-hmm. But you know what? The elite faceoff guys are elite for many reasons, and and having a motorcycle grip isn't necessarily one. Having a knee down stance isn't necessarily one. It's having elite hand speed. It's it's understanding the mechanics and body positioning, and leverage. So those guys will be fine. I think what we'll definitely see more of is is like we discussed, some creativity from the coaches' side. You know, maybe you know for a fact you don't have a great face-off guy maybe you're a team that always is slightly under 50 percent maybe you do throw out more lsms and and see what that does what kind of havoc that does and you know you throw out your lsm and and two d mids and all of a sudden or two two two-way mids and all of a sudden you don't really have to take time to sub off and in the shot clock era that might not be a bad thing Mm -hmm. so i think you'll see that kind of creativity and uh you know not having this or you know heck throw on three two-way mids Yep. And, roll, and roll the dice and say, you know, these are my three best GB guys. And maybe you don't have to even sub off at all on, you know, you just have a quick transition into offense. So there, there's a lot of ways to look at this. You know, it was nice to hear from Brandon, who isn't, who is a face-off guy his whole life, but isn't a face-off purist. He, he's open yeah. to seeing things change. And uh, it was great having him on the show. What I will say is, is that for the coaches that think that, you know, this is going to help solve their problems, um, you know, and that we're, we're want to change at the face off because, you know, you, you didn't recruit a guy who is as good as some of the other guys that you're facing, you're still going to have those problems. So you have to get creative. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, it's just, 
you know, the great face-off men are going to be the great face-off men. I, I think you're going to see a lot of creative coaching, which is a great thing. I think, you know, a lot of these, a lot of coaches um, have a lot more um, tricks in their bag that they, that they don't necessarily show us. So I think that some of these rule changes, it's going to make the game um, a lot more fun to watch. It was already fun to watch, but I think you're going to see a lot of creative stuff that, you know, you haven't seen necessarily before. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting, but um yeah. Yeah. So that's my take on it. Yeah. For the, for the younger guys out there that didn't get to watch a lot of nineties, early two thousands lacrosse, you're going to see, you're going to see what it was about. It was a lot of uh, two way players. It was a lot of GBs off the, off the draw. It wasn't a lot of pinch and pop. It wasn't a lot of, of uh, moves. It was, it was pretty, pretty basic and uh, it created a pretty exciting game, but I, I think moving forward, we'll see how it plays out and, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's nothing. Nothing's permanent, as we know, with the NCAA and and the faceoff rules. They're going to change again next year. I, I guarantee it. That's it for another episode of Going Offsides, presented by the Lacrosse Collective. Please follow us at Lax Collective on Twitter, or go to our website, thelacrossecollective.com. Stay tuned for more episodes. <laughs>